1: Everyone always says that the number one mod for any driver is seat time. Do you reach a point where seat time alone isn't enough? Coaches can only get you so far. So what is an aspiring driver supposed to do?
2: That's where software, machine learning, and data-driven intelligence in the form of digital driving coaches come into play. Apex Pro was born out of the desire to simplify and improve the way data is displayed and communicated to the driver, helping folks improve and achieve better lap times. And with me tonight on Break Fix is special guest host, Phil Ingalls from Max Speed Track Days, along with Andrew Rains, business lead for Apex Pro to explain how this all works. So welcome to the show, Andrew.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. It's a flattering intro. I appreciate it.
2: So let's talk about the origin of Apex. Where did this idea come from? How did it all come about? What inspired you to develop this digital driving coach?
0: You hit the nail on the head with your intro, really. And it's born out of the whole obsession with trying to simplify and solve a problem in a simpler way. So when when I got involved in motorsports data was kind of like an intimidating subject and I'm sure it is for some as well. You know, if you're listening to this, you might be that person. And until I really was exposed to somebody that could really walk me through how to properly use a professional grade data system, I didn't really appreciate how powerful it was. On a really simple level, I want to share that experience with people and provide them with a simpler way to gain insight into their performance and to provide them with a tool that they can really take and grow with and mature with as they go through the sport. And then also, obviously, incorporate elements of technology that help solve the problem in a simplified way, which doesn't mean less powerful, it just means more user-friendly. That's kind of the inspiration. This is my personal driving and, and racing experience with data systems and trying to become a better driver. And then meeting my business partner, who's our, our technical lead, Austin Gurley, he developed the, the concept of Apex Pro, the machine learning that operates the lights on the display that calculate all sorts of interesting things. And he kind of approached me with this concept it's like broad idea. I think we can do something that's simpler and different. Ever since then, it's just been the constant pursuit of trying to do that better every day.
2: So how long have you guys been working on the product and, and evolving it?
0: The uh, The first time I touched a prototype of the product would have been in 2013, but we didn't bring it to market until 2016. So there was kind of a like a gestation period of figuring out what this thing is and where it fits into the market and and really just figuring out the technical back end. You know, me sticking some sensors in the race car and sending it back to Austin after the weekend, about three years of that. And then we finally kind of put the pieces together and ended up developing an app to control the hardware that we designed. And then we kind of happened into a really fortuitous place where we realized that smartphones are now capable enough to operate as a very key element of your data system. They don't have good enough sensors to record the data themselves, but they can display it really well. Those two things kind of coming together, like affordable, really good sensors and powerful supercomputers in your pocket uh, are what made our business possible possible.
2: So like any good IT company, it's two guys in their basement or in their garage, no budget and a desire to change the world. So that sounds like the Apex Pro story. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Did some of this come out of you when you were went to Auburn University and he was part of their uh, drift team, correct?
0: Formula SAE team, yeah. Formula SAE. So
1: that's kind mm-hmm. of where you started. Your, you're seeking your data so that you could be better at that.
0: Yeah, you can actually see the picture. Uh, audio only listeners. I apologize. There's a picture of a, of a race car behind me, say Formula SAE car. So I went to like Phil said, Auburn University, which listeners in the South will be familiar with. Anybody that watches college football might recognize it, but they have a huge engineering school and I was a business student. But I happened upon this race car one day at an autocross that had Auburn logos on it. And I'm like, hold on a second. I'm about to go to Auburn. Like, I need to look into this. And so I realized that there was this university funded organization that builds a race car. Like Phil said, I was actually club racing at the time my dad and I had bought uh, a vintage race car and I was kind of stringing that together doing one or two events a year maybe. And then I got into Formula SAE and that really lit the flame, kind of fueled the passion behind it because now every day I'm with 10 or 20 like-minded people that are just trying to figure out how to design and build a race car. And even though I, I didn't go to school for the technical aspects of it, I learned a ton about building a car from a blank sheet. And a big part of that is data. And we ended up probably spending $20,000 on ECUs and Motec sensors and damper pots and wheel speed sensors. And, you know, we had everything on the car, you know, sensors for everything. And we knew all about the health of the motor and everything, but we weren't using it for driving. We were just using it to make sure the car wasn't falling apart. Nothing against Motec. I use Motec sometimes when I coach, it's, it's a great product for some, but it requires a lot of technical experience and it's not really designed to deliver inflammation to the driver that's actionable. It's more of a tool that you use to expose deeper things to solve
2: a lot of problems.
0: That's a big part of it. Yeah, you're definitely right.
2: So you actually hit on something that's really important here is most people in let's call it road racing. So we're going to qualify that as HBDE, club racing, time trials, anything that falls into you know circuit racing that we're all accustomed to, they have their loyalties to competitors out in the market. Some of the more prominent ones in the HBDE world, because it's cheap, Harry's lap timer. For those of us that are trialers, we're used to using AIMs and AIM solos and AIM dashboards, et cetera. And then we have some newcomers in the market, right? last year, Garmin announced that they came out with their own driving tool. So how does Apex Pro stack up against some of these names that we've become familiar with over the years?
0: That's a great question. It's kind of a marriage between what you look at from the entry-level app type products, the Harry's or the the Track addicts, but kind of more on the hardware side, it's more similar to AIM where the sensors are obviously much higher end. They're very sensitive to how you mount them. It has to be calibrated properly. Not that that should intimidate you. It's all easy to do, but There's a, you get the device with the sensors in it, right? Which is a huge difference between that and the app world. In the app space, you can buy GPS dongles to pair with apps and stuff like that. But what's really unique about us is that we make an app and we make a piece of hardware and those were designed from the beginning to work together. So they're very simple and easy to use together. If you're on a budget and you're trying to string together 10 Hertz GPS and run it with an app and pay a dollar a month for the app and buy a hundred dollar GPS, you're going to end up with a compatibility issue. You're going to end up with a lack of support. There's a lot of ways that that can kind of sour your experience with data. So we're kind of trying to be the easy button for the person that wants to go there and kind of step out of that into something that's a more purposeful hardware device. So we kind of want to be the bridge. Our product is primarily app based. There's a lot of power in in the app. Truthfully it works for 95% of drivers. There's probably a small population of people that need more information than we provide. There's other ways to do that. When you mentioned the Garmin, it's very, very different than the Garmin. It's a different tool. I can definitely compare and contrast them. The biggest difference is the price point they're twice our price, but if you're an audio like learning style if you're an audible learner then the Garmin's probably got some really compelling features if you're a visual learner or if you are compelled to you know learn how to leverage data then Apex Pro is is probably what you want if you're looking for the easy button i think that's probably a, a simple Quick
2: fix. I noticed that you didn't mention the abundant frustration that most of us have with Race Studio and, <laughs> and all the the programs that go along with the aim. So I'm hoping to hear some positives to maybe convince people that, you know, this would be a huge change for them, at least in how they interpret their data. Cause most of us spend our time trying to get it to work more than anything <laughs> else, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we, we can definitely touch on that. I try not to focus too much on what I don't like about our competitors because they, they do a lot of really good things. But I'll definitely it's very true. Very true. You
2: know, very true. I'll
0: definitely put out there the differences between if if that's the software you're using versus what you experience yeah. using ours.
1: If I can interject something here, because first off, I started off with Apex as an end user. I kind of reached out to Andrew because I had ideas when we were forming Max Speed to provide data to everyone. And he kind of explained to me the logistics of that in a track day style format was pretty rough, but I ended up becoming a dealer of Apex units and a very basic end user at the beginning. So I got my first Apex unit and really all I used it for was lap times. But then my buddy and business partner, Brendan, you met him last time we had a podcast, he got one. And neither one of us really knowing a whole lot about the data, but we would just sit down and look at, okay, how fast are you going through this corner? How many red lights are you showing or whatever? Super simple stuff. And if I was a couple of miles an hour faster, Brendan would be like, well, okay, then I, I know that I can I can go faster through that corner. If you can stick it, because our cars are identical, then I can stick it. And it was just, we would sit down on a couch after sessions and just look at each other's line and data and how much. Apex score we were using and it was super simple and we got faster. I shaved four seconds off my lap times at Road Atlanta over the course of a weekend using an Apex Pro and I knew nothing about data. It was just the lights and looking at the path going around the track. So for a new introduction person to data, the Apex app and device is mind-blowing. And then of course, Andrew has taught me a lot about data since and now I can really drill down into it and learn how to get better. For a first-time user, it's super intuitive and simple to use.
0: Yeah, I think what's important if you're like in this space and you're you're looking at different product offerings, I I can't speak to the other companies, mantra or customer service or how they deal with things. Our goal as a business and all we focus on is we want to make you become an Apex Pro, essentially. Like we want you to be able to get into any car and drive the wheels off of it. Data is a big component, you know, quantifying your performance of learning, but it's not everything. There's a mentorship and a coaching role and connection community that really drives the learning process. You know, finding people that you can connect with, finding a good coach, finding the right right seat instructor, finding tools and resources to leverage the data that you have no matter how simple the data gets to see there's a process that your brain has to go through where you have to understand it right and it can become too simple we want to respect that people can learn how to use data we just have to present it to them in the right format and so that's our goal is to help you learn to drive the wheels off of anything through this vehicle of data so what Phil's talking about is like there's subjective elements where I communicate a lot directly with customers and we talk about track nuances that might not be present in data or we might talk about a track nuance and I say, hey, guess how you can see that? If you're a Laptimer Plus subscriber, you can see grade and elevation change, you know, as a graph or colored on the track map and you can go see why I'm telling you, you can roll more speed through a certain turn because there's compression or there's something that's-
2: Turn six, road Atlanta. Yeah, different six. So yeah. it almost seems with the lights to be a little bit Pavlovian in a way. There is some psychology in there too because are you anticipating those colors to be there? Because the way I've understood the product is there's a double-edged sword to this, right? Where the the visual side of it on the phone, you don't have time to look at while you're driving. You use that after the fact to analyze your data versus the onboard you know, device, that sensor you were showing You know, has those lights. It gives you an immediate gratification and immediate feedback while you're driving, you know, red, yellow, green, et cetera. You guys have mixed in some psychology in there as well, right?
0: Yeah, honestly, I think that's the goal because, and and you can probably speak to this, Eric, as a coach or a right seat instructor, there's there's very, very small amounts of information you can communicate when a driver's in the headspace of driving. They're focused. They're trying to get into the flow state. There's very, very minimal Mm -hmm. amounts of information. So what we find is that people that drive with Apex Pro drive with it for months, years, and eventually the lights start to become very significant to them. Because they start to understand having looked at the data and having to, having seen them what they represent. And they start to believe that it helps them. All that matters for us as drivers is that we believe what we're being told, that we have confidence in the car. You know, so like the days of thunder, right? When Harry hides on the radio and he's like, you can run the high line and turn forward. You know, you
2: can make it stick. You can make it stick.
0: That's yeah. That's exactly. That's what he says. And, Followed you know, by, he, you
2: can come on down here and get yourself some ice cream, right? Baby? Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: right.
2: <laughs> We're having ice cream. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the the psychology of. Driving a car is is everything. Our mental state is everything. So if we can find a way to blend the data with the human brain, and the only way that I currently really know how to do that is by getting hands-on and and helping people, bringing the technology along so that it brings people to those conversations at a more educated level. We want to educate people in a way that they can understand why they need to drive a certain way, not just be told to do a certain thing. And coaches and right seat instructors are great at providing the instruction for where we turn in, where we brake, some of these other things. But when we start to really explore how we get the most out of a car, how we keep the Apex Pro lights green all the way around the track, which means you're using all the tire's ability. There's not really a black and white answer. Should I brake later? Should I brake softer? Should I come off the brake later? Should I come off the brake you know, sooner, whatever it is, you have to have the tools in your toolbox to apply it when it's appropriate. And there's an art form to the performance of those skills. So anyway, we can kind of promote proper driving techniques and give people solid things to look at in their data to track that performance and then open up this whole world of allowing them to learn these things. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So would
2: you say then that it helps facilitate the ability to learn how to drive by feel?
0: Yeah, I think using data properly does because what you hear previously, you know, in the industry before data was commonplace and and it still isn't enough. Most people still aren't leveraging it. A lot of people say, well, that feels faster. Usually feeling faster means it's a little scarier. It's a little more intense or the car's loaded more laterally a lot of times. And there's lots of things that that you're like, oh, that feels faster. But when you look at the data, you know, you may have carried more speed into the corner, but you didn't get a good exit. Whatever it is, what we're trying to do with the data is calibrate our feel to what actually the data says is fast, then we're really, really powerful. Then we'd look at data totally differently. We can kind of anticipate what it's going to tell us. And I can speak to my own driving. I have a sense for when I attack the entry too much and I compromise my exit. I know on a scale of, did that hurt me or not? And was that an entry speed corner or an exit speed corner? I can quantify those things more easily now and and kind of have a sense for that more naturally than before I really was a student of the data and understanding what that meant.
2: Let's talk about how the system works under the hood. You know, a lot of our listeners, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy where you have IT nerds and car people. They happen to be the same persona a lot of the time. And when you start talking about machine learning, you get all, you know, the hairs on the back of the information science guy's necks standing on end because they're like, well, is it really ML or is it AI? Without giving away any any secret sauce here, but to just to talk about how the system works in general, and then maybe compare and contrast it to some of the other leading systems that we're used to working
0: with. Yeah, sure. So I, I've spent a lot of time explaining this and, and talking about the end. so I'll start start by kind of prefacing what Apex Pro is and what it displays to you and how powerful that information is. And then I'll kind of talk about fundamentally why it works because that's not a technical thing, but it's a truth that we all know. And that's the reason why it it fundamentally just works. And, And you need to know that before you know anything about it. So on the Apex display while you're driving, You see red and green lights. And the red lights indicate the limit of the car's potential or the the limit of the car driver combination's potential. It's not ultimately what that car could do with Michael Schumacher behind the wheel. It's what that car can do today with you driving it. And the green lights represent your performance. So the the raw sensor reading. So it's all based on kind of a, a friction circle, right? Like we're taught. Early on with the string theory and if we are graph you know, lateral and longitudinal G, you, you end up with a shape as you drive around the track that looks kind of like an ellipse, kind of like a pear-shaped thing that represents lateral and longitudinal load. So what Apex Pro is doing is it's taking that, but it's measuring accelerations in nine axes with a nine-axis IMU. For the more technically inclined, that's a nine-axis IMU is like three-axis accelerometers. Um, one of them's a gyro you've got a a lot of different sensor readings that you're taking in on accelerations. Uh, And then there's also a 10 Hertz GPS in the device that is used for speed and position. And that's obviously very important as well for the traditional data output that you're gonna get in the app you're going to use the GPS. And then we also do some other cool stuff with the GPS, like crew view and streaming your position and some other cool stuff that we're working on. That's what you see when you drive. So basically if there's red lights from the braking zone to the track out, there's more potential, meaning the tire's not at the edge of the friction circle.
2: So red is not necessarily bad. It's just...
0: Unused potential. Okay. Yeah. It's opportunity is the way I like to think about
1: it. Yeah. If you see red, I don't focus on it anymore. It's just in my peripheral vision kind of right above my steering wheel and I'm looking down, but I can see if I go through a corner that there's one red block there and I don't focus on it, but I know next lap I can make that all green. Maybe I need more entry speed or maybe I need to set up my corner entry better to pull more speed through the apex, but I know that there's more there. I know that I'm safe to push that little bit more because it's showing me the red.
0: It's kind of indicating like the car can take more input Yep, and it, that input could be steering, pedals, something that's going to get the car closer to the edge of the friction circle. Speed, just it just depends. That's part of the learning process. Yeah, we touched on that. With the nine-axis IMU, you can measure obviously accelerations and li- lateral, longitudinal. So your kind of traditional axes. You obviously have a gyro for your slip or yaw axis, uh, and then you can also measure all these other axes of acceleration. Right. So Apex actually can model cambered corners, the data filtering that's happening from the IMU when it's intaking sensor readings, it's actually saying like, are we flat? Like how we calibrated, you know, when we press the calibrate button or is the car tilted Uh, or is it going uphill? Have we been traveling and accelerating you know, uphill or whatever, or, or downhill, it's measuring all those things. So it's filtering out to where it knows the grade or the camber. And that's, that's very important because that affects the limit of grip, right? You have slightly more grip when you're going uphill, depending on the steepness of the grade, you have slightly less grip than a flat surface when you're driving downhill. Same with on camera and off camera, right? And the reason NASCAR tracks are banked are because gravity is now pushing the car into the ground, right? You have kind of more contact patch, you have more static mechanical grip. That's important to know. But the fundamental thing that I think everybody that's either speculative about Apex Pro or not convinced that it can do what it does, all you really have to know is that some corners are not driven optimally. Like some drivers, just all of us, actually, I'm sorry, some is the wrong word. We all drive one corner better than another. We all go faster someplace on the track. We're all more confident in a certain corner than another. And it could be the fast wide open corner where we can see all the way through the exit and our first lap out we're already tearing through there or it might be the slow speed corner because we come from autocross and we can just trail the brake off into that corner the car rotates we get some oversteer on the exit and it's not a big deal that fundamental truth is how Apex quote unquote learns the limit that's what it uses as your baseline performance it's taking that performance that it sees there you're pulling a certain number of G's at uh, a certain speed with uh, a certain banking in the track a certain grade of the surface and then it knows all those things it knows the grade the bank all that so the next time you go through a corner that has a different grade or banking or radius or speed it can say well back here we were doing this many g's at this speed with all these other variables here this is slightly different but these things are the same so we can logically say if you're pulling let's say negative 0.9 longitudinal g going up a hill and on a flat surface and a flat braking zone, you were pulling negative one, then it can say, okay, there's reasonably more potential for the tire to grip here.
2: Yeah. So with that being said, there's some other variables there that maybe people are kind of thinking about right now, as we're talking about this, scratching their heads going, well, what about the different tire compounds? What if I start the morning on a low grade R comp? And by the end of the day, I switch to slicks. Or my tires have to come up to temperature before they're sticky or they've superheated and now they're no longer grippy. Like we see that all the time. There's so many variables when it comes to tires. How do you consistently pivot off of that as your data point?
0: I mean, that's, that's really it. There's so many variables when it comes to tires and the theoretical potential of of a tire to grip a surface, the surface changes throughout the day, right? With cloud cover temperatures are going to affect, we all know (laughs) good weather is cloud cover, relatively cool temperatures, right? That's when you're going to go the fastest. So Apex doesn't know any of that stuff. That's not even a consideration. All it's looking at is the accelerations, the raw data from the sensor. So it's really showing you in real time, like, did you have more potential right then? Carry more speed through that corner to accelerate harder in that particular instance. So it doesn't know if your tires are up to temperature or not. All it knows is that you're accelerating it this much in this corner. And in this corner over here, you're not doing that, not necessarily the same exact performance, but a modified version of that same performance that it thinks is reasonable in those conditions. So the, basically the answer is it doesn't take any of that into consideration. And that's that's part of how it works as well. How, a part of how it represents something that's accurate in all of those conditions. And the only time that it's something that I would recommend that people change is when you go from a dry track to a wet track very quickly because it learns your peak grip, peak traction, your peak uh, edge of the friction circle. You have to
1: recalibrate.
0: Right. The, the display won't be as helpful, like unlearning all of that. Like, okay, you were decelerating a negative one G and now you're decelerating negative 0.6, right. Cause it's wet, but the other way around works exceptionally well. And this is, I hear this a lot from drivers and I've had this like epiphany myself, but on a wet to drying track, it's kind of unfair because you'll be feeding into the power and you're at slower speed cause it's wet. It's a little easier to be able to get the visual feedback and you can just tell so easily. And it's like a truth meter, right? You're like going to the power and you're like, I don't know if I can go to the floor and you'll see all these red lights starting to populate and then you just feed the power to the floor. I've had that experience so many times where it's just like given me more confidence sooner in drying conditions to start pushing the car's limits. If you're a skeptic of the product, that's a hard situation to like to replicate. But if you can get on a wet track or a drying track with one, it'll
1: open your eyes, the world really. Yeah.
2: And I, I don't know that it's skepticism so much as it, like to use your word, a recalibration of what we're used to. AIM does it a certain way, Harry's does it a very linear way, etc. So this is a different way of thinking. So it takes a minute to kind of wrap your head around how it works. I think some of the other questions that may come into people's minds as as they're thinking this through right now, as you're explaining it might be, I guess it really doesn't take into account the line either. So you could be a habitual early apexer and it doesn't matter because the machine learning is learning how you drive and then setting those optimal limits based on what you're doing. So I guess there's a negative to this in that if you don't drive a great line, whatever that means, because that's a truly ambiguous term, honestly, Yeah it's really only scoring you, but what happens, say, you know, you get that classic situation and then my buddy got in my car and he beat my lap time by three seconds in my own car. Then what?
1: Andrew will tell you about the easy button when you're (laughs) teaching people data, let let, let Andrew drive your car.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a really powerful tool because the, when you turn the apex pro off it, it erases that calibration. It doesn't store the memory of that performance, right? It, and there's a lot of reasons for that, mostly conditions changing and um, the grip potential always being different, you know, different times of day. But if you leave it on, so if, if I go, you know, drive a super fast lap and then Phil hops in, those red lights are going to be more prevalent and they're going to more easily expose those types of things. And, and you can get a sense for things that are line related. So like if I were to strictly look at the apex lights, I could kind of tell if you're an early apexer or a late apexer or if that's kind of habitual it's kind of helping you if you're running a consistent line, it's going to be most helpful. And that's kind of where us as like early, you know, early stage instructors, that's what we're trying to get our students to do is drive consistently in the same place on the track, obviously learn how to do things in other places on the track, break offline, overtaken different situations, have different sight pictures, it's going to be most helpful for you on with some basic understanding of the principles of the line. And I, I'm not a believer in teaching people the line and saying, this is the line, because I think the line is a function of utilizing the tire's grip the entire way around the track. And if you- Well, do even, that-
2: the, even that, the car's natural tendencies as well. Some cars, yeah. we joke all the time, we call it fun wheel drive, right? For the front wheel drive guys that are out there. There's <laughs> a concept that we throw around known as anticipated understeer, which translates to track out. So Mm -hmm. if you can get a front wheel drive in the corner correctly and rotate on its hind legs for a moment, it will basically push its way out to track out. That is not a natural thing for a rear wheel drive car, but if you master those kind of, we'll call them techniques, you can make a front Mm -hmm. wheel drive very fast, right? But it's unorthodox. So those are the kinds of things I'd be curious to see, like how a system like this would pick up on those, those nuances of the different types of cars you know, there's a certain way to drive a Miata fast, but it's not necessarily the way you drive a Corvette fast. So I often argue like you, that the line is this mythical thing. It's the baseline at which we all learn how to get around the track safely, but to go fast is an entirely different thing.
0: Yeah. I could, I couldn't agree with that more. It's, you drive the car, not the track. You take advantage of the track. You take advantage of what the track gives you. Your goal is to drive the car at its limit. And by consequence of that, drive the tire at its limit, which is dictated by physics. And four contact patches are four contact patches, right? There's ways that you have to manipulate. And I've I've got a lot of front wheel drive racing experience. Um, So you
2: know what I'm talking about. I love
0: front wheel drive cars. (laughs) Yeah. I have a lot of conversations with guys that are diehard rear wheel drive cars about you know, that can't wrap their head around, why would I ever want to drive a front wheel drive car? It's a totally different approach, but it feels very different, right? It feels so different driving a front wheel drive car to a Miata, to a Corvette, but what the tire is experiencing to drive an optimal lap is very similar. Trying to get it into a similar place, right? You're trying to rotate like the rear tires are maybe sliding slightly more than the front entering a corner so that the car rotates more naturally without steering input and less scrub so that you can you know direct the car car to the exit and go to power sooner and that's exacerbated in a front wheel drive car because you have these natural tendencies towards understeer from the time you get on the power right but those types of things are why like kind of that fundamental like we're trying to we're using physics tell people this all the time and i think maybe ross bentley said it or peter kraus or somebody that's my senior in this coaching, you know, industry and business, that the only laws that apply to driving are the laws of physics. There, are, there are no rules. There, are, there are suggestions. There are best practices. There are things that we do to safely get the car on the track. But when it comes to laws, it's the laws of physics, and that's why Apex Pro can work the same way in a downforce-dependent car as it can in a. Front wheel drive shitbox.
2: box. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Which, and that's a that's an endearing term, uh, in a. In a town <laughs> no, it, it, it's sport.
2: it's it's plastered on the side of all of our front wheel drive cars. It's okay, yeah. you know, shit box edition. It's all good. But uh, <laughs> that being said, you know, again, going back to this kind of reimagining of the data, a lot of people are hyper focused on, I think, two big things: the lap time and the data that's coming from the car. And you see it all the time. I mean, there's countless YouTube videos. Man, look at my awesome lap at Road Atlanta. And it's like in-car video and OBD2 data. And you're like, is that lap really that good? What are you showing me here, right? And in yeah. the days of Harry's being like the more prevalent one, you always saw the, like, the little G meter that looked like it came out of Gran Turismo or Forza. And you're like, <laughs> it's so gimmicky, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess the bigger question for folks that may be interested in this or looking to transition is they wanna get that experience at the end of the day, because they want to show their friends, they can't show their friends blinky lights. So is there the equivalent to, you know, that smarty cam or that overlay or that OBD data in the apex pro system?
0: Yeah, we have a, we have a video rendering and data syncing feature. Uh, that's part of our advanced feature set within the app. You can basically with a touch of a button, you can render your, your iPhone video with your, your data. So you can actually see the lights overlaid on the data. So you can go back and see your relative, you know, position, trajectory, where are you on the track? And did I have any red lights or not? Right. Is that a place I need to go work on? Uh, And then also speed and, some other things, and we're constantly adding capabilities to add different things to renderings. But it's very important to be able to have that hero lap because we all go to the track for fun, and we all want to show our friends what we did. And uh, some people learn a lot from video, but that's definitely something you can do. There, there are certainly limitations um, when you start talking about technology to phone cameras to OBD2 information, what you can actually get from the car f- without going down a rabbit hole. Uh, And that's funny that that you bring that up because I spend a lot of time talking with drivers who come to me asking advice, thinking they need information from the car when really they're trying to learn their braking tendencies or something that's more about them as a driver, which is all, in my opinion, again, we talked about this, 95% of drivers are going to get enough out of a a GPS-based standalone system to learn about their driving. If you need vehicle health measures, you need to make sure that you have that taken care of. But if you're just looking to like learn about your driving, you don't need brake pressure and steering angle, even though it sounds, even though those are, those are things that they're like, well, I turn that and I press that, right. I need those. Well, you can learn almost exactly what you're doing with those inputs from longitudinal and lateral G-force inputs, right. It's not exactly the same, but it's even more powerful because it's the end result of your inputs. And you can, you can learn enough about it that for way less money, you can get to the same exact place. And I spend a lot of time talking with drivers about that. Like, if you want a brake pressure trace, turn your long G-trace upside down.
2: There are two data points that are missing from this equation that I actually think are relevant from the OBD2 data. And that's throttle position and RPM. Those cannot be derived. But those to me would be the only two data points that are valuable in that whole, you know, compilation of information you're getting. To your point, brake pressure, you can can calculate that. You can figure that out. Steering angle. who cares? But those other two points, they're so very finite. You know, you can get the exit speed of a corner, but at what RPM, what gear, you know, how much throttle was I at when I achieved that perfect exit speed? Was I at full throttle or did I back off a little bit and I was at half Mm. throttle or the other thing that it won't pick up is lift throttle oversteer. If you drive with your pedal, you cannot sense that on any sort of GPS or gyro or anything because you're feathering, you're working, you know, you're making the car do things. And I think that you almost would get a false positive in that way.
0: Yeah, there's, you know, the reason I mentioned brake pressure and steering is because no car communicates those over OBD2. It's on ca- the CAN bus of modern cars. If you have a, a relatively new car, you can get that information by buying a device that can access the CAN bus. And it gets really confusing because the OBD2 port can access CAN bus, but OBD2 and CAN are not the same thing. OBD2 is a standard that all automotive manufacturers agree to, and they're required to put some information that may be be coming from the CAN on a newer car or from something else on an older car, but you can access, and I'm glad you mentioned that, you can access throttle position and RPM because those are required OBD2 standards, which means it's going to be less expensive regardless of if you're using the Apex Pro OBD2 device or if you're using someone else's OBD2 device you can get throttle position and RPM. So I spend, and and a TPS trace, throttle position sensor, trace is very, very important to understand uh, at a certain point in your driving and can teach you a lot, uh, even even really early on as well. Um, And then also with OBD2, you get something called pedal position, which usually TPS is measuring the throttle position sensor, so the throttle body Mm -hmm. in most cars, um, which will be like if you have a modern car with stability control or traction control, the TPS trace will be influenced by those if the throttle body is used for traction control. On most cars, it is. Pedal position is the measurement of the throttle pedal. So you can actually more linearly see what your foot is doing. So on Apex Pro, you can use our OBD two device that's a Bluetooth OBD2 that tethers in to the app, just like our standalone GPS and accelerometer hardware unit. And it, you can get all that information. Because the question that you mentioned, Eric, what gear am I in, is a is a really important one. And that's not always super easy information to access because it's kind of hard to remember that, especially when you're learning a new track or maybe you're in a, a car that's new to you or you've changed gear ratios. That's a vital information to know and to compare I can't tell you how often I remember doing this even before I was involved with Apex Pro. I was traveling and doing some crew work for some pro teams. And then I got into professional racing myself. And I remember how often I saw the drivers when I was on the crew. And then myself with my team and engineers and stuff asking like, is this faster in third or fourth? I don't know. And it's not super easy to know. You can see in a speed trace where you upshift, right? So you can get a sense that I go to fourth there, but you can't always see that, right? Or if you're in a PDK Porsche or a DSG BMW, You're not going to see those shifts in the speed trace. So being able to tell gear position is pretty important uh, when you're looking at that type, particularly a corner that's got like a 70 mile per hour minimum speed. In most cars, that's third or fourth gear. Exactly. Yeah, so you you make some really good points there. TPS is really cool, too, once you get into it, because you can see part of our learning curve, we overslow the entry of the corner pretty substantially, and we all have the tendency to go back to throttle before we can actually be at wide open throttle to drive the car out of the corner. So we have to lift off the throttle again. You can see that in long G. You can see that in the speed trace, but you'll see it obviously in the TPS, right? It'll go flatline to the top.
2: And the other thing is, if you really want to geek out, you can calculate the latency between the throttle position sensor at the pedal and the throttle position sensor at the throttle body to figure mm-hmm. out if your lifting is actually doing anything. Because some cars have a baked in delay there where lifting your foot actually isn't doing anything and the motor is still at whatever position it yeah. was at. Especially so, you know, cars, yeah. It, exactly. So not to nerd out on all that, but let's nerd out on something else again, which you brought up, kind of alluded to, you know, going back to that, you know. ML versus AI, you said the system resets itself every time you go back out, so you recalibrate. So one of the guiding principles of ML is that it has been feeded and seeded data and that it continues to evolve over time. So if it doesn't retain the data, now it's this goldfish kind of circling the castle. So is it really starting anew every time or is it an AI that is now recalculating on the fly what you're doing based on that particular session?
0: Yeah, by, by that definition, it's, it's AI because you It is, it starts from a a baseline of like the software that's embedded in the circuit board basically has kind of a baseline fundamental understanding of like what we talked about physics. Yeah. And that was calculated. That was the original testing that we did to kind of get the logic was in my Prelude World Challenge Honda Accord and Robbie Foley ran one in an MX-5 and the MX-5 Cup. And then we had a couple of downforce cars um, that we used. We got kind of a wide range, a couple of high horsepower cars. I drove a, an LS swapped early 944 for a while uh, that it was a friend of mine's car that if you went to full throttle too soon out of the corner, it would just shoot the axle out the side of the car from oh most man. ridiculous huffs early 944s don't hold up super well to v8 swaps so get a turbo if you're going to do it uh, sure turbo, turbo, yeah 525 horsepower and a 2700 pound 944 is really nuts but yeah so so that's kind of like where the so it's, it doesn't start from nothing it starts from an understanding of the basic physics and driving dynamics But yeah, by by the definition, if you turn it off, right, then it's an AI software algorithm.
2: So let's talk a little bit more about the Apex Pro. And this is, you know, obviously where we'll probably start to differentiate it from some of the other systems that are out there. So, you know, I'm very intimate with, you know, the AIM. I've been using it for years, probably like a lot of our listeners that are tuning into this episode right now. A lot of us have gone through the, you know, the training and certification classes and stuff like that. One of their big things is they push how many satellites are being used to get this exacting information to this, you know, minutia of how many blades of grass you just blew over as you went through a corner and they, they, they emphasize how important that is, you know, where you are on the track at any given point, you know, were you an inch off of the apex, like they can give you that level of fidelity in the data. So, you know, their minimum is like eight satellites in order to triangulate on you when, you know, your typical in-car satellite only uses three, you know, stuff like that. So I guess the question is, because you are using a GPS receiver, let's start with that. How many GPS points is the Apex using in order to create that level of granularity?
0: Yeah, you need more than five to really even get to a usable, you know, track position in in our opinion, seven or eight, the baseline number of GPS satellites. I've learned a lot about GPS going through all this, but some of the natural limitations of GPS is it's controlled by, depending on where you are, it's controlled by the Department of Defense in the US. Maybe Phil can tell us more about that, but they only only allow you to get so accurate for national security reasons. You so used to be
1: three meters now it's one.
0: Yeah, one, one meter, which is in racing terms, as far as like how far am I off the apex? One meter might as well be it's a
2: barn. It yeah, could be huge. a mile. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> you could drive a Miata through there, right? Like that's <laughs> that's too much. But it, I mean that that is very important, and that's a big differentiator between us and who we view as the primary not necessarily competition but where we're looking to bring customers into the apex pro world is folks who are using their phone as a data logging device. That's where you're going to see the biggest difference between using like a phone with an app and then buying something like an Apex Pro or a 10 hertz GPS unit to get a better position. You're going to see a much more accurate position on the track. Now there are you know instances where and you'll see this with any GPS system where you're going to have GPS satellite shift or let's say we have seven satellites we're connected to when one falls below the horizon. Now you have to reconnect to another satellite. Sometimes that's going to end up, you know, moving where you are. Sometimes that can affect the systems that we use to talk to the GPSs and all that sort of thing. You know, most of the GPS systems are using the, the U.S. GPS system, the GLONASS system, which is the Russian system. And then there's a Chinese satellite network as well. So you're, you're able to tether to all these different satellites. So that's not a huge problem. But what is interesting about satellites is they're most accurate when they're low in the horizon. So like a GPS that's right above you is not good at finding your position because it's not triangulated, right? You want like GPS is coming in from very far extreme kind of horizontal positions to position you accurately. So a good GPS program is going to be finding satellites that are low in the horizons. So they're more likely to shift off the horizon and have to move in that by that definition, we actually have, I'm working on an Apex Pro online course that has some detailed information about GPS that I think is really fascinating. And for anybody that's more than just trivially interested in GPS, I think it's it's important if you're using these systems, anything that's a GPS powered system to kind of understand the limitations, the capabilities, the natural tendencies of the technology. I don't know if I actually answered your original question.
2: No, actually, it, it, you're, you're right on the money. I wanted you to go down this path so that people understand that it's not as simple as it looks and there's more to it, right? And your phone alone can't do it. And that's why specialty you know, systems like this exist and that they exercise more points for more granularity and more fidelity and and an easier ability to track where you are, not only laterally, but, you know, even your elevation, right? All of that is factored in when you're talking about GPS data. So we could nerd out on that probably all day long, but, you know, there's some other things to that. And, you know, when you look at it from a convenience perspective, people also leverage and go, well, my GPS thinks I'm at X track. So is that being done at least through the phone to geolocate, you know, off the cell towers and say, hey, you're at Summit Point or you're at VIR or Carolina motorsports park and then so that is part of the display package but the apex pro itself doesn't really care what track you're at is that would that be a true a true or fair statement
0: yeah yeah that, that is that's true so when you open up your app and you go to connect your apex pro and you've just driven from somewhere out of state to road atlanta or thompson or watkins Glen, it's going to use the phone gps to, to say hey are you at this this track Right. And provide different configurations if the track has them. And and then you select them so that you know you have the proper track selected. Now you're good to go. Obviously it's when you hit start, the next time you cross start finish, it'll start tripping laps automatically,
2: right? It's nice and, and succinct. So the communication between the Apex Pro unit and the phone, I'm guessing, is Bluetooth, right?
0: It is. Yeah, it's Bluetooth low energy. And it, I believe the transmission rate between the two is 10 hertz. So it's sending, it's sending data 10 times a second. Not to be confused with the sample rate of like the actual algorithm and the sensors in the Apex Pro hardware. That's at a much, much, much higher sampling rate because accelerometers sample at an extremely high rate. A good GPS system or necessary for motorsports is 10 hertz, in, in my opinion. And not really any more than that is necessary unless you're at a really high average lap speed. But some systems use higher frequency GPSs because they derive accelerometer measurements more from the GPS than, than the actual accelerometers. We use accelerometers for the accelerometer measurements.
2: So does that mean that the Apex then is caching data and then basically forklifting it over to the phone? Or is it a near real-time stream from the device to the phone and the phone is a bit of a flight recorder and then post-processing occurs after you've completed your session?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's actually sending that data over kind of in batches. Like when you trip a lap is when it's sending the bulk of the, of the communication of like the recorded information.
2: So unlike like a Harry's where I would be seeing it basically processed there in near real time, this is done after the fact?
0: Yeah, it's a little more post. It's a little more post than like a live stream right back and forth. But BLE, like Bluetooth low energy is a really powerful tool for being able to to transmit this kind of information. It's actually pretty impressive what it's capable of doing now. And you can also have multiple Bluetooth signals with it. You can do all sorts of different things
2: which is why you can use the OBD2 Bluetooth connector along with the Apex Pro on the same unit that's probably going to raise another question for a lot of people what's the minimum spec for the particular phone that they're going to have to run to do all this kind of processing as it's happening
0: yeah well certainly the newer the better in in most cases so we're we're an iOS centric product so we're focused on the Apple devices that's a that's a big conversation there's a lot of reasons for that, but fundamentally just to get it out of the way, we, we don't support Android actively currently because when we started this business, my business partner, I had an Android developer business partner and another business partner who decided to learn how to program for iOS and learn the Swift coding language. We ended up buying out our Android partner for like a hundred bucks or whatever, you know, it was like early days. My beer other money. partner, my what's that?
2: I said beer money.
1: <laughs> Probably, i you know,
0: this was like six years ago. Right? It's like hard to even remember. And but, in 20 uh,
2: years, we'll do the Where Are They Now, and that guy will be like, I regret getting out when I do.
0: I can't believe
1: <laughs> For, for a case of Paps
2: Blue Ribbon.
0: <laughs> oh, man, that's good. But uh, so we ended up with a really strong iOS competency just because we had the in-house development. So we've pursued a lot of different options for Android and we decided, you know what, we have a really good, really, really reliable, strong connection with the iOS devices. We're getting better and better and better. We're doing some other work outside of Apex Pro for other customers in that space. So we're just going to stay in our lane. And now this is not like a leak or anything, but we're finding a way to get back into Android without having an out of house. We've tried to, to grapple with how do we avoid paying somebody? several hundred thousand dollars to get a, an Android product that needs constant maintenance that needs a lot of it's not going to be exactly what we want which is what you'll get with a with an out-of-house device. plus there's too
2: many flavors of Android depending on the provider versus Apple is Apple is Apple at the end of the day right
0: yeah there's there's so there's a lot of simplicity there when you're looking at like uh, options you know if you're actually and this might be relevant if you're listening to this and you're thinking I have an idea for an app or a product Android you kind of have to make the tough decision of like which versions of Android do you want to support and which hardware devices do you want to focus on? And you have to kind of auto select people out of your range because you can't do them all because they're, they're very different. Um, Whereas with iOS, it's a much simpler structure for different hardware. So to answer your original question, any iOS device that runs iOS 14 will run the latest version of our app uh, and conceivably has enough power to do most everything. The data files are pretty small, like megabytes, you know, it's like, like less than a picture of storage space that's going to take up on your device. So you don't need a ton of storage. Certainly, RAM is helpful. So a newer phone with a newer processor, more RAM, you know, more storage is gonna is gonna help uh, everything. If, if you're considering using your phone primarily for video, the iPhone 12 is one of the best um, that I've seen with like stabilization, or the iPhone 6s is actually incredibly good with video stable that makes me wonder though you know
2: you're talking about apple devices and you know this is where we're really geeking out here and hopefully the it listeners are appreciating this but you know we all know that apple devices run pretty hot so there's always cooling concerns especially when you're at the track on a hot day you got that thing mounted up on on your dashboard and now it looks like something out of the Borg collective right we got wires coming in because we got to keep power going to it all day long we got our (laughs) Apex Pro we got our OBD2 sensor we got all this other stuff going on maybe I want to live stream on Twitch all at the same time I don't know right (laughs) so (laughs) that means you you inevitably Mm -hmm. are greeted with Apple's version of the blue screen of death which is like the core meltdown screen what are some recommendations to get this thing to run cooler? Or have you guys optimized the code in such a way that it doesn't really overpower the device in these types of extreme conditions?
0: Yeah. So the camera uh, and filming or like being on a phone call or something, that's always going to take the most RAM. That's going to heat up the processor the most, that's going to cause the most work from the phone. Um, the app itself is very low energy. So it is very well optimized for not being a, a huge draw from a heat generation standpoint, but you know, some, and I saw this in the show notes. I was like, you know, they're they're the first person who's like actively addressed that as like a common issue. Like we need to talk about it because it is a problem. And you're going to run into that with any of your battery powered electronic devices in your car, particularly something like your smartphone. I,
1: I will throw in that our very first event was in August at Roebling Road in Georgia and 95 degrees plus. And I've run my apex with the phone in the window on a on a windshield mount. Every event we've had in August at Roebling, I've never had an issue with it, like causing the phone to shut down. And that's running video because I'm a Laptime Plus subscriber. So it's it's running the video for the laps and everything. And it's always just run fine. So, yeah,
0: well, that, that's a, that's a good point, And that's where I was going to go with the tips for keeping it is that if you can keep your phone from like being contacting flat against a surface and that surface is really hot, that's a really good way to keep it cool. So keeping air around it. So if a phone holder or uh, um, something that's containing your phone that, Allows your phone to be exposed to, to air and in, in the, the majority for the majority of the actual device. Or if you can put it somewhere shaded, like in a, in a glove box or in your pocket, uh, I, I very rarely see, uh, and I, I do this a lot when I wear my driving suit. I'll go drive somebody's car, coaching clients' car, or I'll be at an event where I'm hopping in people's cars to set data laps or I'm riding right seat and I just keep my phone in my pocket. I put my Apex Pro on the Dash phone in the pocket. If you're in a situation where that's a viable solution for you, phone's never going never gonna to overheat in that situation. Anytime you can keep it shaded, the, the times where you really run into the heat problems are when it's on or near metal that gets really hot, or when it's sitting flush, like flat on a dashboard or on a contact surface that has a lot of heat. Obviously you're going to get a lot of heat transfer uh, into the phone. So those are my best tips. Buy a good phone mount and that'll help you a lot.
2: Does the Apex Pro have a dependency on the phone or are they mutually exclusive from each other, meaning it will give you the feedback you're looking for, whether your phone is present, you forgot it in the paddock, it's turned off, the battery died, et cetera. Are you still going to get the same experience or does the phone have to be there?
0: The phone does not have to be there for the for the real time
2: information on the device.
0: You can actually just turn the device on and never never tether it with your phone. It's going to go through the same exact learning process kind of adaptive play process
2: and And how many laps does it take before it activates and does and starts to show you information is about one lap two laps
0: yeah and in a normal session on a two-mile track uh if unless you're like tire warming or there's a big train right it's it's about a lap before you're going to see relevant information I, i was testing some new stuff on the, just driving around on the office test track like right, around the road today. And, uh, you know, I went into uh, somewhere where I kind of do a little bit harder braking, a little more aggressive turn, all well under the speed limit, probably 30 miles an hour. The second or third turn that I went through, I'm now seeing a bunch of red lights at turn in showing me I'm not, you know, I don't have enough combined load in the corner. I knew I, at that steering angle, at that speed, I could probably go 20 miles an hour faster, right?
2: So can it determine start finish or is that relative to information on the phone?
0: That's relative to information on the phone. It's not gonna It's not gonna determine the start finish without, okay. without the phone.
2: Cause I'm sure people are curious, how does it know when you've reached the exact same corner again, so that it can compare the data from the previous time to tell you those red and green lights?
0: So it knows when you cross start finish, right? And it knows your distance from start finish, but it's not actually using like the specific position on the track, it's kind of building a more holistic model. Okay. Um,
2: but if the phone isn't present, then what happens?
0: If the phone isn't present, then it doesn't. All it doesn't have is like the the data to trip that. But it's not de- it's it's not dependent on like okay. oh you went through turn one last time doing this. It's it's just seeing the similar conditions and comparing
2: them it to other okay. places.
1: time similar. over distance, right? It's yeah where you cross yeah. reference
2: points or where it sees a repetition. Yeah, I got you. Okay, cool. No, and because that could be a little confusing, you know, when you're talking about decoupling the phone and the unit and things like that. So I just wanted to clarify okay. that. No, that so, makes sense. that's a good question, which was going to lead into my next question, which is all of the software is on the phone. There's nothing for me on my PC or my laptop or anything like that to be able to download the data and then work with it there. It's all driven either by tablet or phone,
0: right? yeah. it's it's all iOS based. So, ipad iphone and you're you're touching on like my my wish list because i spend a lot of time on my on my computer and i would love to be able to use my mouse for more dexterity with data but there are some third-party options currently like the track attack uh, software that's fairly commonly used and that's it's kind of a data bridge so you can take data from different systems and, and put it into track attack and it does a pretty good job of combining it and letting it be comparable um, there's always going to be some differences because they're all used in different sensors and they were mounted differently and there's not a lot of uniformity there but that's a really good software and you can take a csv export from the apex pro so every apex pro session can be sent or shared as a apex session which is like our, our ios file that's proprietary to the apex the way that we we save the data uh, or you can send it as a csv file which you can do a number of things whatever you can do with a spreadsheet or a csv file you can do with that so you can use it in like race render for your video overlays. um, So you can get more accurate like GeForce and and speed data, or you can use it in in track attack, which is pretty popular, but that's certainly on the long-term horizon. But what's interesting for those of you who may not know about Apple's like development, they are trying to marry to some extent. And Eric, you might know more about this than I do, but basically iPad OS is kind of migrating to be more interchangeable with Mac OS so that you could take an iPad app and put it on a Mac and have the functionality between the, the different ways that you computer, you use a mouse and you click and on an iPad, you're using your finger. That's kind of where
2: they seem to be going. And so that's a, that's a hashtag because Google and Chromebooks, but we'll, we'll leave it there. Right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so maybe we'll be able to benefit from that uh, before too long.
2: So since we're talking about wishlists and to kind of round out our, our, nerd out session here on, you know, the how it works and the technology and what's involved and, and all that, I, I'm wondering any ideas on maybe putting an SD card on the unit and letting it do the recording locally, and then be able to pull it down later? And then, the second question, and I know this goes straight to some of the guys that listen to our show: is there an API for Apex Pro?
0: So the SD card question, uh, I guess that's that's been a common one from the beginning. Um, unfortunately the, the way the logistics, mostly the situation make it difficult because we're app based. So like a micro SD would be the easiest thing to package into the unit, but to get a micro SD into something into like a SD card reader or to something that you can actually get into your phone, like your lightning plug on an iPhone to get the data into the app is a little well, bit of a challenge, right? Well, couldn't
2: you then Bluetooth the device and then download from it or create a local Wi-Fi, almost like a GoPro? I mean, what I was thinking was with an yeah. SD card on there, then the EML can go back and reference data points that it has from previous times. Now, granted you'd have to give it some reference information that this data is summit point versus VIR, you know, let's not go down that rabbit hole, but I think it would be really cool if it did have onboard memory, could do a lot more with it, you know, from that respect. But just kind of switching to the API, right? I know a lot of guys would like to to dive into this and how do I access, what can I do, you know, is that an available option?
0: We really don't have an open API and there's that's just kind of how We've decided to approach this. We keep everything more or less focused on simplicity to the user. And some of that inherently comes with a little bit more of the it's not open framework. It's not open structure. Now you can take the CSV data and do a lot of stuff with it. That's the the limitations there. But we have strongly looked at the SD card or the internal storage is what we would call it internally, (laughs) pun intended to develop and utilize some of the things you're talking about, like iterating the 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 ML through the various sessions, right? Or to you could technically yeah, like create a local Wi-Fi network, or you could even pull some of it via Bluetooth, but you run into some pretty big, again, logistical constraints. If we look at how our users are mostly interacting with the app, you really end up where I want to see my data right now after the session and know how fast I went. Yeah. And that's a that's a barrier because you would have to kind of commit to the internal storage. We've been down that rabbit hole, I guess, is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question, but there's the cool thing about those types of questions though, are that we really make one product right now. Uh, we make one hardware device and our ultimate goal is to be a long-term player in the motorsports data world. And that's a world where there's a lot of niches within our motorsports niche that we need to cater to. And there's elements of it that might require an open API or might require the internal storage element where I don't have to have my phone in the car. And that's all stuff that we want to address. Eventually, we just have to figure out who's our customer, what's our core business, how do we grow this customer base so that we're as healthy as possible as a business. And then we can go and address some of the other fine kind of areas that we've that we've seen. Because that, that has been a pretty common question. No,
2: and, and all, not all of our listeners are computer scientists either. So we should probably get back to talking about cars and going fast and <laughs> lap times and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I think the next question is, you know, as we're talking to different folks that have experience with different tools, be it like we talked about, you know, the the Harry's lap timers, the AIMS, the new Garmin, you know, all those tools that are out there, there's always a learning curve. And sometimes that's a barrier to entry, right? Some people just want, it, want the easy button as Phil pointed pointed out earlier or something else. So does Apex offer classes? What's the curricula like? You know, what's the expectation there? How long does it take?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually working. And for those of you who are familiar with Apex Pro already, you're probably going, yeah, I've done your webinars. So we, we already do address that in a lot of different ways. But we are working on an online course that you can take that's probably less than an hour time commitment all in end to end. And it's kind of everything you need to know to be a successful Apex Pro user, what every single icon in the app does. Uh, how we present the workflow and how it's kind of meant to, meant to work, Um, which obviously it's as user-friendly as possible, but there's still all of us use software every day for work. And the only reason that we use it well is because we use it every day. And the unfortunate reality with motorsports software, the various data system software or or any other things that the teams are using and stuff like that, unless you're using it constantly, you don't get those, you're not getting that seat time to have that recall and that muscle memory and that familiarity so we're trying to combat that with more education, better UI, better overall UX for how user user interface, user experience, for how people interact with the product to make it simpler to get to the important stuff. But currently our course format, if you kind of look at like from the funnel, from the top down, we have a Facebook live kind of session that I do sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly. I try to be consistent where we have guests. We kind of talk about Apex Pro at a cursory level. We mostly highlight different areas of motorsport, whether it be safety or in some of the ways, maybe some of the topics you're addressing here, just different format, much shorter. And then we kind of move down from there. We use that to promote our webinars, which some are free. We have an intro to Apex Pro webinar that we do once a quarter that goes out to everybody who's purchased an Apex Pro in the last couple of months. And they get invited to take a free webinar. And that's an hour long, me presenting for about 40 minutes and then people asking questions. And we see a ton of excellent feedback from that because of that Hey, I have my specific question. I want to ask it this way. And so that's been really successful. And then from there we go a little deeper and we do paid webinars, which range from like $29 for LapTimer plus subscribers up to $59. If we have a guest and we'll cover topics as simple as the speed trace. And I say simple, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's a very foundational thing in data. And it's only simple if you know what it is or know, know of it, or how to use Apex pro the Apex pro lights to assess your corner entry speed, right? That was a whole webinar just on corner entry phase, Apex Pro Lights correlating the two, all the way down to racecraft or more specific driving techniques that might not even be data related, but we see a demand for that or people talking about it within our, you know, online communities and stuff. So yeah, that's the process. We have we have a couple of different ways to interact with our education. And before too long, you'll start seeing a more formalized like online course. That will kind of give you a certification for learning it and quiz you on different aspects so you kind of retain it and there's some stuff in the app as well that that can teach you and there's a little question mark that if you tap it, it walks you through everything that, that that's happening in the app.
2: Phil, you mentioned on the other episode you do something called data and Donuts. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? That was actually it it was a spinoff of what
1: Andrew had done at their location in Birmingham. I sat down with him and then we had another instructor, Clifford Robertson, who is. One of our Apex Pro reps, when he can come and rep the product at our events, he'll come and, and demo it for people, put it in people's cars, help them interpret their data. And so we got with Andrew because we wanted to host a, a Data and Donuts at our garage club and sat down. I guess we spent, what, an hour and a half on webinar, you and I and mm-hmm. Clifford. And honestly, as a dealer and as, a, as an end user, I learned... So much about it. In, like he said, you could really dive in deep and and become an expert in this device in an hour or an hour and a half. It doesn't take weeks of learning different points to be able to understand it. And then you can pass that information on. We did that. We helped people learn, like he said, the speed trace. And then also, as a provider for HPEs and and a, a dealer, I can take this device and put it in somebody's car, hook them up on their phone, let them run one session, come back in, spend 10 minutes with them sitting down and showing them a couple things and they disappear and play with it for half a day and they buy it because it's that user friendly. And then if they've got a buddy that has it, the social aspect of the apex pro is you can share your session data between other people that have the device and have the, have the app to compare data. So you can overlay your buddy's lap over yours or vice versa. I can send data to Andrew and he can look at it and say, Hey, you know, you suck right here. So <laughs> Which is pretty much what he'd say everywhere, I think. Uh, for me, anyway, I'm still learning. But uh, it, it's such a, to me, it's such a a, a a simple, intuitive system for people to put in their car and, and learn how to drive faster, that they, until, they, until they put their hands on it and use it, they don't realize, wow, this is, this is great. And so like I said, if we put one in a person's car, 90% of the time, they're going to buy it. And it's just, they kind of sell themselves because once they've played with it, they're like, man, this is awesome. And mm-hmm. and I have got real world stories of people showing up putting an Apex Pro and they're familiar with the track. You put an Apex Pro in their car in the morning, by lunchtime, they're two seconds faster just from watching the lights or looking at a little bit of session data afterwards and realizing, oh, I'm leaving, I'm leaving speed on the table in this corner. And it's that easy to use and to help yourself improve. So, yeah. so yeah, it's a great, it's a great system.
0: I was really honored when you, when you did the data and donuts event. we had, we had these, uh, winter, uh, you know, gatherings that we started doing in the off season last year before COVID hit, obviously, and had a bunch of people in the office. I bought coffee and donuts for everybody. And we just talked about, you know, kind of did, uh, it's focused on our local tracks you know our home tracks in, in our area and had 15, 20 people and they all shared their data. And we talked about it, what it meant. And I, I started to learn the power of the community aspect of data where you hear somebody else say what they see and then someone else sees it and they go, well, I see this, right? And you all start talking about, and then you end up in this kind of subjective conversation that's more kind of big picture. And then you kind of go back to the data and you're like, but that says that that's not necessarily right the way we've all been doing it. And, and so I had a bunch of people who drive Barber Motorsports Park a lot in here that I know drive it a certain way, they turn in too late in a lot of places, right? Way too late because they've been taught the traditional HPDE safer late turn in to the point where they're adding more steering and it's probably not safer. But we debunked a lot of those myths, not by me saying, hey, you're turning in too late and you're slow, but by saying, tell me what you see. Uh, and here's a faster driver and here's a slower driver. And so that that became really powerful. And so a lot of the tools that we have in the app, uh, you, know, you can airdrop data to people. Yep. And that has really been uh, very popular. And then our crew view feature is where you can see other users on track. So you can hop on there and see like a map view and see if someone else is driving today. Uh, and then you can also submit your records to compete against other Apex Pro users to see where your lap times uh, stack up with other people. And that all is, is we've been working on that in the off season to, to improve it. Um, but I, I just want to say quickly, Eric, as well to to folks who are using another system that's more detailed, a little more like a Excel spreadsheet kind of vibe, just so you know who I'm addressing. There's a lot of power there. There's an enormous amount of power there. And if you love making math channels and you get a lot of benefit out of that, that's value to you. That's very high value. If you're tiptoeing through that software and every time you get into it, you're like, oh man, I forgot how to navigate this stuff. Or like, this is such a pain that I can't get laps displayed, Apex Pro is an extremely good alternative for you. You're going to get to that point and get to where the data is in front of you in in an immense smaller amount of time. And then you're really going to be starting to think about the actual driving aspect. So I kind of gauge my success as like a, a salesman for the product and a marketer is like, how many conversations do I have that are about driving versus tech support? And it usually skews more towards driving, right? It was, it was more tech support early and we're still developing stuff. And as the UI gets better, that gets smaller. But the amount of driving conversations, the amount of emails I get with just like a screenshot or a data session that says, what do you think about this? Or how did this go? You know, I post on our, our Facebook group. What about this? I think that's a good indicator of that's where we want to get with data. Cause like, like we said at the beginning, we're trying to break the barrier down to it being kind of a scary thing and just Yeah, there's some complexity and there's some detail there, but anybody can do it. Anybody can learn it. If you can drive your car on track, that's a lot harder than learning data. Uh, And that's that's what we're trying to promote.
2: Now that we've talked about education, there's still one more big question on the table, but we're going to save that until after this next one, which is many of the telemetry systems are often touted as multi-discipline. And plenty of us use our cars at the track, maybe at autocross, maybe there's some of us that do rally cross, whatever. And your product and competing products claim that they can work in a multitude of different, you know, motorsports arenas, disciplines, et cetera. How does this work, right? I get it from a track perspective, rally cross, you know, anything that's circuit-based makes sense. But for a point-to-point like an autocross or or a time-distance rally or anything like that, how does that work? And more importantly, for our other listeners, does Apex Pro work on a motorcycle or with go-karts?
0: <laughs> yeah, good question. The uh, certainly the, the the feedback element works the best on a circuit as far as giving it the most information to be the most useful for you. But if you're looking for uh, high-quality lap times, high-resolution data. You know, better stuff that you can, much, much better information than you can capture from your smartphone in a point to point environment, autocross, hill climb, rally cross, something like that. It it does work great. Custom track feature that we have, um, in my opinion, is really easy to use. You basically set your start finish points that you actually take the device with you. It uses the GPS so it gets a more granular position from the actual device and you carry it with you on your course walk and you go stand by the start gate and the finish gate. Uh, You don't have to walk the whole course. Uh, Same for any other point-to-point course or a custom circuit course. Um, You can also do it just like driving in your car. You can set the start gate just like drive up to the start finish and tap. You know, set start point. The data is a little. I don't want to say different in autocross. What you value from the data is slightly different than what you value from when you value on a road course. Distance is really important in autocross, like how much distance did I travel, and so there's all those tools to access in the app if you want to see things based on like how much distance did I travel on this lap versus this lap, because that a lot of times indicates it leads to lap time in autocross, uh, and usually towards the end of the run as well, you're going to get some utility out of the lights, particularly if you do multiple runs without turning. So the the model itself, I should say that only when you power off the unit with the button on the side of the unit is what resets the model. if you hit start and stop on your session as long as you keep the power on on the unit that display model the underlying apex pro algorithm is going to keep building on itself keep adapting so that's that's going to be helpful and carts and motorcycles the gps based data works great on a motorcycle you're not going to get the same real-time grip related feedback on a motorcycle because the dynamics are so different you know you've got two contact patches instead of four that's a slightly different problem to solve uh and then on carts in my experience yeah it works great on a cart it's just a little more 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 violent of an environment, harder to fit your phone with you. So there are products that are more specifically designed for those areas. But if you already have an Apex Pro, you're primarily like an autocrosser or a track day or club racer, then yes, you can absolutely use them in those other environments.
2: Yeah. And it's not advised to mount the Apex Pro to the steering wheel on a go-kart. Like we do everything on a go-kart. So not, not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> You're no. going to get false data. <laughs> it's
0: not going to help you. Yeah. It's going to look, the data is going to look kind of jumbly.
2: You know, the 900 pound gorilla, that final question about the Apex Pro, right? The thing that's now on everybody's mind, they're excited about this, they're really psyched up, they want to try it out. What's it cost?
0: Apex Pro is $549, so $549. The app, the majority of the features are free. So what I suggest that people do, if, if you're in the market for this type of product, you can shop around and find some stuff that's within $100 either way. But I would definitely recommend downloading the Apex Pro app for free. There's sample data in there. You can get your friends to send you data. There's no restriction on how much data you can have from your friends on your phone hop on the Apex Pro users group, request that people send you some data, reach out to us. I have data from like every track in North America that I'd be happy to share with you. Apex at apextrackcoach.com and watch our webinars. That's the best way to shop for an Apex Pro is to get involved with the community and see how people interact with the product take on the, one of our webinars before you invest in the product itself um, and then the units 549 and then if you want to unlock more features in the app we have like a yearly membership it's hundred dollars a year that unlocks all this additional functionality and there's all it's constantly evolving so we've got a whole slate of stuff coming for this track season for that and there's also a monthly option for that as well um uh, that's oh, nine
1: the $9.99. Plus, that's the lap timer plus correct yeah
0: lifetime or plus.
1: And that's what also allows you to render the video uh, overlay from your phone video, take the data from the unit, overlay it on your video, literally while you're sitting right there at the track. And then you can edit that and send a portion to somebody and say, hey, how did I go through this corner? How did it look? And they can see your data and your video all at one time. And I mean, it's it happens within minutes, which is one of the things that I love is you don't have to go home and plug into track attack or something else and and you know, do all this combining of data and video and information it's just it's right there mm-hmm. so that's yeah. one of the features it's why i'm a lap time plus subscriber <laughs> so.
0: yeah and it, it unlocks additional functionality too you know you get predictive lap timing on the phone screen a whole bunch of new data channels I try to release like a custom channel every couple of months. Um, you get some extra functionality with the OBD2 device, a gear position calculator. Um, you can do sector times and see theoretical best lap times. You can do all sorts of different stuff. GPS grade is one of my favorite. The
1: theoretical, data the, the theoretical best lap time by the sectors is actually very helpful because you can look at, you know, it takes all your best sectors over the course of your day or your session and plugs them in together and says, okay, so if Phil ran a 126 whatever at Roebling. his best time now instead of 126.70 is 126.03 or something. So I know pretty quickly that okay, I'm leaving half a second on the table. So just another great feature.
0: Yeah. And and that's a that's something that if you're using data now, you're probably familiar with, or if you're coming from iRacing, you're probably familiar with. And that's you can really get granular with sectors. So LapTimer Plus is designed for people that want easy video rendering overlay predictive lap time displayed on their phone or they want more advanced data features. So that's who that's for, but you can get a lot of utility out of the app without subscribing. So the the what I advise people to do is once you do your research, buy the hardware use that get to know the app decide eventually if you want to upgrade to like an obd2 device we sell a phone mount to display your phone and then what features does lifetimer plus hold that I think that I can leverage and use that that I want and try it out for a month and then and then buy the annual to get the discount right because it's it's 20 30 bucks less to buy the, the annual
2: so as Phil You know, very eloquently pointed out at the top of our conversation, the number one mod is always seat time for any driver. It's all about experience. It's all about being on track. To your point earlier, Andrew, it's about that muscle memory, you know, and using the software over and over again and and getting acclimated to it so you don't forget things. But at the end of the day, all of these telemetry systems don't do the work for you as a driver, right? They're a guide and we don't want to falsely get anyone's hopes up. So what kind of results should people expect to see from a tool like Apex Pro? Will they go slower at first because they have to build faith in the system or are the results really immediate so long as they follow the given recommendations of the system?
0: You know, I don't want to say that if you buy this product, you will go faster because I don't think that's the case for everybody. I think it's I think it strongly increases the likelihood that you will, whether that be just from an in-car reminder or something that you notice on the display or from you learning in the data, what it does do and what we try to focus on as a company kind of like we talked about at the top, we're trying to make everyone an Apex Pro. And what that means is not that you can set the fastest lap time because lap time is kind of a roving metric. It's not really a good indicator of proper driving performance. We want you to have proper driving technique and exhibit good driving technique across the board. And that's really what we want to do. So I think if you get plugged into the Apex Pro community and you buy an Apex Pro and you start to learn how to use the data, you can expect your driving technique to improve if you are willing to put in the work. The consequence of that is always better lap times, driving technique. And sometimes you're right. You make it, you make a point, Eric, sometimes, and I do this when I'm coaching people personally, say, hey, can you do this my way, right, for now? Like, just, just do it the way that, that I'm asking you to. And that might be slower, but we're building a foundation. And data is kind of going to do the same thing. It might cause you to to take some pause to learn, but it's going to open up a world of improvement that, that you didn't know was there. So I would say it, it's pretty common to hear testimonies from customers like Phil saying, Hey, I looked at the data. I heard you say something about this corner on this track. I started to recognize that I'm over slowing in this corner. because now I'm using the data and I can see that and I've tracked my improvement and now I'm going a second faster, just like that. I've certainly had people call me and say, I'm 10 seconds faster because I'm using your stuff now. Right. That's like the embellished fish story, right?
2: Yeah, Your, your mileage may um, vary, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your mileage will definitely vary,
1: but I know just from personal experience, and, and I really haven't done a whole lot of modifications to my car other than adding a hard top. From the first time I put an Apex Pro in it, and this is just Road Atlanta, to the last time I rode or drove Road Atlanta was from a minute 57 to a minute 48. And that's nine seconds in a 112 horsepower car that's a lot of improvement. It's, and it is seat time too. It's just learning. I mean, I've picked his brain about Road Atlanta countless times because he's a great asset to have. And as a dealer, I have extra, extra (laughs) access, but it's mainly sitting there and going through the data in the device and using that as a tool to teach me, okay, I'm leaving time on the table here, here, and here. That's what it tells me. So, so then I trust the app. And when you, actually turn in earlier at six and you stay in the throttle and oh hey look it sticks because the data has been telling you that it will and then you go a second faster. It's a, it's, a, it's a very powerful tool in my opinion at least for an entry-level data device for new drivers or even experienced drivers. So it's just a great product.
0: Yeah, I would say that's, that's a common experience. And if you certainly begin to peel back the layers of what data can offer you, you can expect there to be a lot of benefit, both in your understanding and in your speed. And that's what we try. That's the... That's the book that we try to be to people, the resource that that we try to be.
2: All right. So Andrew, you know, with every good software or hardware application, you can't just stay on version one forever. So what does the future of Apex Pro look like? Is there a version two coming? And if so, what's involved?
0: Yeah, excellent question. Uh, so, So there is, like you said, especially in the technology space, you're constantly trying to improve the product because every, it seems like every day you learn about something new that comes out, some new sensor or, you know, hardware component or programming style or something that can be, you know, used to your benefit that can improve the product. And so you can do some firmware updates and some software updates. Obviously in our world, we have hardware and an app, so we can kind of augment, you know, the user experience with with software updates. When it comes down to it, we released the first generation Apex Pro device in 2017, and it's now 2021 and and technology's come a long way. So we can now get similarly priced sensors like IMUs and GPSs with more capability from what we were using four years ago. Absolutely. So yeah, Apex Pro Gen 2 is on the docket for spring 2021. So in, in May of 2021, you'll probably see us announcing the release of this new device, which is, is really exciting.
2: So what are some of the expectations for somebody that's going to be picking up a Gen 2 versus a Gen 1? Other? Uh, than the IMU and GPS changes? Is
0: there anything coming? Oh man, coming? yeah, it's, uh, it's fundamentally different uh, and, and better, I should say. It's very much the same ethos and as far as how the product functions, the user will have a very similar experience as far as connecting to it with Bluetooth, using their phone as kind of the remote control and the data review tool. But the actual Apex Pro hardware is going to be totally different. It's a brand new circuit board, totally redesigned. We're using a different battery, using a new GPS and a bigger GPS antenna, using a a newer version of the same uh, nine-axis IMU. But the big thing is that we um, at Apex Pro, and not a lot of people know this, but outside of motorsports, when we first designed Apex Pro, we learned how to do this connected technology thing where we're using Bluetooth to communicate with hardware. And since then, we've kind of expanded on that capability and we have another business under our roof that's been developing products for other industries, for other customers, for other niches. So we've done industrial products. We've done a yacht IOT product, which is super, super cool, like retrofitting older boats with ballast sensors and GPS and streaming it all through a Wi-Fi hub to your phone. So you can see a bunch of information, indoor positioning systems for like big overhead cranes and manufacturing facilities, we've done some athletic stuff with sensors on golf clubs and human uh, athletes and stuff like that. So long story short, we've developed a lot of products since we originally launched Apex Pro. So just kind of the natural evolution into the second gen Apex pro device we're coming at it with a lot more competency and a lot more refinement so now i feel really confident that this device is just going to come out of the gate and be better in every way more reliable better battery life better sensors better quality data to the end user ultimately uh, we actually we ended up improving the apex pro coaching model which is what displays on the leds so previously if you're an apex pro user you're familiar the green lights are good red lights mean there's more potential or there's more performance available and um, that's true From the braking zone to the track out point, but on the straightaways, essentially the device is expecting you to accelerate at your hardest acceleration longitudinally. that's what the red lights are showing you. So you go down a straightaway and all these red lights start to appear, even when you're at wide open throttle. But we've basically through collection of data um, and then through just some seat time in the race car, testing it and validating some changes to the model. Now... If you get your optimal exit out of the corner, you're at wide open throttle soon, you're going to see the same thing down the straightaways that you see in the corner, right? Even though I'm not accelerating at my peak acceleration, I'm doing the best that I can right now, given my gear ratios and my horsepower and Aero drag and all that stuff. That's really exciting for me because I think it's a more intuitive product for our customers.
2: And what does that mean for existing customers? Is the software still going to be backwards compatible? When does the Gen one product go you know EOL or end of life? you know is there going to be an Apex Pro 1 versus Apex Pro 2 app where they'll be fundamentally different or is there you know how is that all going to work?
0: Yeah, great question. So the the app will be compatible with Apex Pro Gen 1 and Gen 2 devices. There'll, there'll be no changes there. There will be a big app update coming at the same time Gen 2 comes out to take advantage of a lot of the new features from Gen 2. But as a Gen 1 customer, if, you, if you're if you not upgrading or maybe you bought one more recently, you're still going to reap the benefits of us now selling a new hardware device. So you're going to get um, a reimagined interface. You know, we've just had a lot of experience watching people use the app and improving the UI UX element of our uh, of our business uh, and and really becoming better internally at understanding how to develop a UI that that works and then there's a lot of new features baked into that software obviously because now we have more capability coming from the Gen 2 unit so really no changes for Gen 1 users other than you're going to have a new interface to adjust to but our social platform which we call Crewview is getting enhanced dramatically so as a new user now you'll have to you'll notice Even if you already have an account with us on our app, you're going to create a new account because we actually changed our whole backend, our whole server situation. We were using Apple's kind of embedded server, the iCloud tools that they provide you. And now we have our own server and our own network that we're managing all that on, which to the end user, why is that important? It's important because it's going to let us do more for you with the data that we get from your submitted sessions. It's going to allow us to um, just offer you more pointed information to be a lot better essentially as a business. So you're gonna create a new account when you log in and now you're gonna be able to submit your data and compete with people. Just like we have now, you can see the top 10 fastest drivers at every track, but now it's gonna be separated by tire. So we're gonna have a a category for slicks, a category for your R compound track tires, uh, and then category for street tires. Now you're kind of in a little more of a level playing field Right? You could still have a Miata and a GT3 on slicks and not be that close. We're at least kind of narrowing it down because we've noticed that's a huge part of what our customers want is they want to see how fast my friends are. Am I beating my friends? How fast did my buddies go this weekend? Are my friends on track this weekend? And we're trying to help people answer those types of questions.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, for all of us technophiles out there, we always want the latest and greatest things. So I'm going to assume in the future, there'll probably be some app changes where it'll say, you know, gen two only or something like that features will be grayed out, but you know, we always want the newest and shiniest objects. So is there some sort of buyback, trade-in or promotional program going on for Gen 1 customers that want to have the newest toy and the hottest thing on the market right now?
0: Yeah, there is. So when we roll out the product and you, you might have already heard this, but if you subscribe to our in-app purchase, which we uh, our in-app subscriptions called Timer Plus, which we talked about, you know, already we are offering a $120 discount on the new hardware. Basically gives you a free year of the subscription plus an extra $20 off. Um, because the, the subscription is ninety nine a year, so you have to reach out to us. There's a form on our website you can go and fill out, and that's going to uh, submit that information to us. We'll reach back out to you and we'll hook you up with the new Gen Two Apex Pro. So yeah, yeah, great question.
2: Very cool. Well, thank you for that update, and I'm sure a lot of folks are going to be chomping at the bit to get that Gen Two product and see what it's all about. There'll probably be you know fifty seven different YouTube unboxing videos as soon as it hits you know, <laughs> somebody's doorstep. So looking forward to that, and you know, keep up the good work.
0: Awesome. I really appreciate it. The last thing I'll include is we've had a lot of customers ask for live streaming of data. Uh, And because we require having the cell phone in the car, we can do that via cellular. So look for more information with Gen 2 only about telemetry streamed from the device.
2: So as we wrap things up here, Andrew, are there any shout outs, anybody you want to call out to while you, you still have the airwaves at your attention? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, thanks for Phil for, uh, to, for having me, uh, for inviting me on the show. And, and thanks, uh, uh, Eric. For Eric for
1: that for was me. Eric that came up with it after we did our Max Speed podcast. So
0: Awesome. Well, no, I, I mean, I, obviously, I'm not the only person at Apex Pro. I'm the only person that people are going to see on social media. But uh, I have a, a team here, multiple business partners, one who's a lot smarter than I am with accounting and numbers and and math and was a worked on wall street for a while. And another who's a mechanical engineering PhD. Uh, we now have a full-time electrical engineer who works on apex and other projects. We have one of our engineers is really Bluetooth specialist. He knows everything about, about BLE. We're, working on some other industry products to help them solve Bluetooth-related issues. We've got a really cool uh, network of people that operate out of our building, and uh, I I couldn't do it without them. So you might see my face publicly, but there's a lot that happens behind the scenes to make it all happen.
2: Well, again, congratulations on everything you guys have been doing. I mean, the progress looks awesome. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about the product itself. So I'm looking forward to seeing where things go from here. So, you know, keep us apprised of what comes next. But I want to tell all of our listeners out there, if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more about Apex Pro, remember to visit apextrackcoach.com or look for Andrew's smiling face on Facebook and Instagram at official Apex pro. And also be sure to check out their computer base or CBT training at apextrackcoachcom forward slash education. That way you can get up to speed on Apex pro as quickly as possible. The one thing I do want to do before we close out here, gentlemen is remind everybody that's listening to this particular episode, that there is a give and take with any of these digital systems and that they do not understand you or your, your vehicle. There are physical limits that need to be reviewed when you're using a system like this, <laughs> this one or one like this. So always use your better judgment when attempting to push for better performance, better lap times, whatever it is that you're reaching for, make sure that your vehicle is mechanically capable and that your awareness is at its optimal, right? It's about you and the car at the end of the day if you're looking to push and improve. So don't take unnecessary risks, especially at driver's education events like max speed (laughs) events where timing is frowned upon. Remember that folks, check track schedules for open days or test and tune events so that you can maximize your training experience with a tool like Apex Pro. And the last thing I'll leave everybody with is to never stop learning. This is a great tool to be able to expand your driver knowledge, your ability, your techniques, all of that. So I can't thank you guys enough, Andrew, for coming on the show, Phil, for being my guest host this week. You guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome.
0: Thanks, Eric. Very well put. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thank you, Eric.
0: If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you.
2: Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix. And we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization. And our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag.